Welcome to the art in education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education, where we dive deep into virtual reality for teaching and learning. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Adrian Moisa. He is the founder and CEO of Equilibrium. Equilibrium is an amazing company. They help people with tech. So they help clients with innovation, digital transformation, and more importantly, optimizing using a custom tech solution to progress customers in a huge variety of sectors. And today we're going to talk about how they are diving into virtual reality. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Hey, Craig, it's a pleasure to be here. This is a topic that's um, near and dear to my heart, so I look forward to our conversation today. I always love to start with an origin story, either personally or possibly related to your company. What got you interested in VR? Actually, my first job after university was to work for Ubisoft. So we were building not only games, I had the privilege to work on Rayman and Formula One games and FIFA, but we we're also doing edutainment application so we were helping people learn we build a how to learn how to play the guitar on a on a macintosh we also were doing applications to use aesop fables to teach kids how to read and uh, in a way that is immersive and and fun so gamifying the education process. Um, after coming to Canada in 1997, I did my PhD at SFU in computer science with a focus on human-computer interaction and usability. And after graduating, mobile, mobile gaming was just starting because Sony PlayStation Portable was just announced, the Nintendo DS was just announced. So now people are trying to figure out what does it mean to build immersive experiences for these new devices? And they realized that these Sony PlayStation Portable, Nintendo DS are not just computers that just shrunk. And then if Electronic Arts was the biggest producer of entertainment and gaming, they would not just take the big screen experience shrinking 20 times and that's your new game. So we're trying to figure out what would mobile gaming look like? So building this from scratch. So that was my opportunity to build immersive experiences for these large um, publishers, but also to be part of the revolution, changing the world with mobile. Now we have the opportunity to change the world with the metaverse and spatial computing. So it's, it's very exciting. And many people are seeing this as the evolution of the internet and then predicting this to bring 13 trillion dollars according to cd to the global economy adrian are you accustomed to 
going in the headset or are you pretty agnostic in regards to it's okay to to do a 3D environment on the computer or go ahead, try it in a headset? Where do you stand on that debate? So as you can see um, in the video, I'm surrounded by all kinds of headsets, including the latest uh, from Apple Vision Pro. Um, so on one hand, I'm a geek and I love to basically use technology to enrich people's lives. That's what our motto is here at Equilibrium. That being said, this is going beyond the propaganda. Look at me, take a photos. I have a, some goggles on. It's looking mm -hmm. like, when does it make sense to use VR and to solve what problems? So even some of the projects we're doing, I remember we started four or five years ago, we did a Tableau um, project with, the, with Tableau and the head of technology. And we are discussing what is a natural problem to solve and how can this experiences using immersive reality add value to customers. So we spend the first part of the project to identify some scenarios in which VR was a game changer. And in that particular instance, we focused on digital twins because they had this data scientist, they were like some detective, they have these massive rows and spreadsheets and trying to figure out what is the data telling them? What insights can they provide to business? And we say, like, well, they are not just ordinary rows. The maps to these physical spaces in that particular instance, it was about the data coming from a building, airflow, temperature, how the sun moves throughout the day, energy consumptions, and so on. So they were like, oh, okay, now I have this extra context about how this data works in real time. It also enabled people using Microsoft uh, HoloLenses, one from Seattle, one from Toronto, to be in the same virtual location and then to see these changes and collaborate. So for us, it was very exciting in those early days to, to, to see how we can use these novel devices to unlock the potential and solve some concrete business problems. I love that you used problem-based because it's so true. I think, uh, you know, that when people think of tech, it's often, you know, what's the latest shiny new toy. But if you're coming around like you guys are and saying, we're here to use the tech, but only to solve a problem that you might have in your organization. And you've, you've gotten huge traction in the banking and financial sector, which I want to talk about a bit. You know, let's talk about what are some of the problems in this particular sector that you're seeing that traditional learning can't solve, whereas VR might be the piece to resistance, so to speak. It's a great question because this is an industry that's not known for being the most innovative to the forefront that they will need to take most risk. And they're also coming from having a brilliant year in 2022 in which interest rates were low. People were sitting on you know, a bunch of cash that was saved during the COVID time and they were spending buying houses, mortgages to you know, you know, record high interest rates. And then the economy changed. We have war in different you know, regions of the world. So you went from one of the best years to some of the difficult years. So the challenge for them right now is to do more with less. 
So they have this mandate to look after their customers. They call them members. And also to look after their employees. And and I'm meeting with this type of people and they say, oh, all these job cuts and then all this talk about AI are disassociated. Is AI taking over our jobs? So job security is an issue. So they are solving two challenges. One is how to provide high quality training at scale that is reducing cost and timeline to deliver the training with the other component to drive employee engagement, which improves also retention of those employees. In some of these high stress, high pace environments, like in a call center, it's not uncommon to have 40 to 50% attrition year to year. So if you have 200 people in that call center, you may have to hire 100 people every year just to keep up with the people departing. That's a lot of churn and a lot of effort, you know, in HR and onboarding and training employees. So by deploying this type of methods, they saw that not only they are reducing anywhere between 20 to 30% their cost over three years, but they're reducing the employee attrition, right? Because they are more engaged and they feel like they are better empowered to right now address, you know, the calls they're getting. They they are more confident applying those skills. So it's um it's like a panacea. In many instances, VR for training has a number of benefits compared to traditional training. Can you give the audience an example of a typical training scenario for, you know, you'd mentioned a call center that would help with this onboarding process where new people have to come in, et cetera? When we started the discussions with them about where to add most value with this VR training, one thing was discussed, listen, so they need to build muscle skills. We have this expensive device called a cash machine. We want to train the people to figure out how to operate it. Um, we don't have a bunch of them laying here. They can be multi-million dollars. They need to be secured, you know, in certain offices. So people kind of do this type of video training. And then the first time they actually get to use it in real life, is like, that's not how it works. And then I, just watching the video doesn't help me actually behind proficient on how to use the machine. So they were thinking, okay, let's solve this problem, right? We, we don't have this expensive piece of equipment. We can build it in VR and then get people to operate, use it. And then by doing so, they build this muscle memory. By the time we did this discovery and planning and we met with different stakeholders in the organization, from executive to people in training to the actual trainees, we found 10 other scenarios that are better than that. So one thing, for example, we're seeing this need to advance these conversations from transactional. Somebody calls in to reset a password towards how can the credit union support the members, especially during this more difficult time with things related to financial wellness. If you're coming in and you're trying to learn about this credit union, what is the next best product for you? So imagine like you, we all have Netflix and then question is like, okay, I just finished this good series. What would be the next thing I could look 
I can watch? What's a good fit for me? And, and you're seeing Netflix is using tools like AI to say, oh, this is a 94% match. You can also tell you it's because you watch X and Y and that, oh, okay. So that gives me a confidence that they, they, they're picking a good series for me. So we chose, for example, to look into things such as soft skill training. So when somebody calls in and a customer can be a very nice, polite uh, um, customer, or it can be somebody because he was triggered, comes in upset, I couldn't log in, or I missed a payment, or I got discharged, I don't know what's coming on. And you have some work to do to diffuse that situation before you even go into you know, addressing a concrete problem. And then after you address the member's problem, you may receive some cues. And then you try to figure out, okay, based on this information, based on this unmet member needs, what can we as an organization do to enrich the type of services we provide from them? Oh, they may be, oh, we're preparing to go on a trip. Uh, our car is pretty old. I don't feel my family is going to be very safe. We're going to find something. Oh, okay. Do you know we have a great auto loan? I don't know. I didn't know we profit. Can I tell you more about this? And then come up with a solution that it's adding value to that member based on some of these indications and tips and, and hints that they provide in the conversation with you. So moving from like, I only came to solve this. And then, man, I got back home with a great solution to address the needs of the member and his family. And are you currently already using AI avatars that are programmed with some, you know, large language model, or is that sort of just on the cusp? Are you using, you know, there's, there's this notion in learning and development where it's um, the, the scenario based situation that someone has to do in soft skills is, is very click based versus now, of course, having the ability to have uh, an AI avatar that runs off of some version of some large language model that can interact without you even worrying about uh, the scenarios and the branching, the branching scenarios, I guess is what I was talking about. That's a great question. So we wanted to move from that point and click type of scenarios. Actually, after we implemented the first scenarios, and, you know, people like were expecting some sort of scripted answers. Typically, your traditional training scenarios using, let's say, video, you watch a video, which is very linear. And then at the end, it's like pick one of these three options. Um, and it's not interactive. It doesn't allow to change based on the choices you have. Um, some of the feedback we received was, you know, I, I want to use voice to communicate with these members. And so the the avatar is it's speaking and then you can change the tone, the accent and so on. And the next aspect, it was like, well, when I'm clicking on these things on the side, I move my eye gaze from making eye contact with the member. And it's like, that's not realistic. That's not happens in real life. Um, and it's a distraction. So how can I have more like a meaningful conversation using, as you said, this type of um, Gen AI interactions that feel less scripted and, and then offer more options for a pass that you can determine and it's personalized, right? 
it still needs to get like, hey, there is a certain objective scenario for you to complete and success is measured when you achieve a certain goal, right? But it it also allows you, well, you got there after 10 minutes of conversation while and a more efficient person can go there after two minutes. So part of what VR training is offering is a wealth of additional information to tell you more than just did you succeed or not in completing a scenario on how long it took you to complete the scenario, but it could be like, what distracted you? Was that a meaningful conversation? I actually remember people from Zappos, they were celebrating somebody who had like a 45 minute conversation with the client. So people would be like, that's a really bad rep because you know, you're supposed to be quick and then hang up, not in Zappos. The culture was like, Hey, this customer has a problem. We're here for you. And we celebrate when, when you have meaningful conversations here. So uh, we're looking into what are the meaningful metrics. And then we use the same learning and development system to put the data from the VR training. Um, so we can compare side by side the results for training relative to traditional training. However, VR brings way more uh, insights to enable personalized learning. So we can assess, for example, what is the tone and voice like? Are you being bored? Like you see some of these avatars, they are trained to say, oh, this, this conversation is very kind of bland, same tone, monotonous and so on. They'll start yawning. It's like telling like, you're boring me. Like you, you're basically taking too long or so on. So it's giving you some cues to say like, you got to, Pick up the pace, right? Um, it also attracts people's facial expressions. Have you been surprised about what this person said, right? Or are you excited? Or did you make somebody laugh, right? It also looks for um, other cues and hints from this verbal communication. So not just tone and voice, but but also like the, the facial in, uh, expression and what's the energy that you project in into this conversation one of the contentious issues is you know you mentioned personalization which i absolutely believe in as an educator myself the more personal you can make it so a, a lot of the soft skill training programs out there will use a generic virtual environment maybe not the exact digital twin of the call center, you know, in your experience, is that okay? Or do you feel like in order for them to actually perform as well as they did in VR in the real world, they should have a complete replica or digital twin? We saw people commenting how accurate is like, I felt like at work at one point, I basically, I would just wanted to go on the conversation before I felt like this is exactly um, like a day in the life of that particular employee. So it does help to get people immersed into those environments. So it feels like so natural and your brain being surrounded by similar cues operates now, there is no surprise I'm familiar with this environment, so I don't have to stress out about them. In certain instances, especially right now, bringing things such as mixed reality, you can basically bring that scenario into whatever you are, right? So if you wanna 
train where I am right now at home or in a coffee shop and so on, I can bring some of that experience and, and create this combination between the reality we create and then your kind of reality today. So mixed reality, obviously, with devices like the Oculus 3 and the Apple Vision Pro that I just showed to you, um, it's it's a next stage, right? Because it you don't have to scan an environment in advance. You, you can just put a headphone on, and then today is you in this office. In this particular instance, um, people from branches may be in an office in on North Shore, and tomorrow you can be in Kitsilano, and the day after you can be in uh, in Burnaby, right? So. Um, you can apply that training with you and and then get the device to give you the environment for free. Another return on investment that lots of companies, not just banking and financial sector, is safety. You know, I can't help think of a, a friend of mine, his wife actually unfortunately went through an active shooter situation in a bank. Are you doing any of that kind of work yet in regards to getting people desensitized towards, you know, a bank holdup situation, et cetera? Um, it's a great question. So the Stanford Visual Human Interaction Lab has actually coined this acronym called DICE, standing for Dangerous, Impossible, Counterproductive, and Expensive. So their research showed that if the scenario you're trying to simulate checks one or multiple of these boxes, the impact or VR training relative to traditional training is even higher. So to take your example, right, especially in, in the States, it's not uncommon people to carry guns and then sometimes bring the gun in there or it's in a situation in which somebody, you know, it's actually looking to loot a bank and then how do you deal with this situation? Watching a video or reading a fax about, hey, we should probably do this and this does not create the immersive context of, you know, watching somebody come in, hearing a gun being discharged in a small office and so on. So it doesn't really prepare you for something like that. With VR training, you create something that's very immersive. And by the way, there are right now devices that can simulate, you know, not only um, these vibrations like a mouse can do, but you can have a full body kit that makes this, this body sensations throughout the entire body. You can even bring one of these mask kits that can basically, I don't know, it smells like petrol or it smells like um, smoke or like it's the smell of freshly baked pastries and so on. So making that environment even more immersive. So going back, if you do this VR training, like in this particular dangerous situation, you know that you can stop, you can reset, nobody actually is gonna be hurt. There is no accidental discharge. We are talking to a airline and they do this emergency training for their crew. And then they have to fly people into Toronto, put an airplane um, on an empty, you know, run away and then they create these scenarios, the lights are off, you know, there are fires on the side and then they have to open the side chutes. 
if your airbag takes $3,000 to replace, imagine how expensive are those side shoots when you open on the side of the airplanes. And then when you make this realistic, what if somebody actually gets burned by one of those fires or touches a piece of metal that is hot and now they have uh, a scar on the hand? With VR training, you can do this from the comfort of your home in a very immersive environment, and there is no risk of somebody, you know, breaking a leg or uh, getting burned or getting shot or so on. So um, another example from the airline industries in the impossible or counterproductive scenario, this organization with the headquarters, um, the main hub is in Atlanta, they are training the staff how to de-ice a plane. And they're explaining why is it impossible? Well, it's only two or three days a year when it's so cold that the plane freezes. So like, how do I plan ahead when to fly people in to do that type of training? Then there is obviously a risk involved because going up on a frozen airplane wing is pretty risky. You can slip and then you have to spray those with hot water. That's another risk and so on. So much more comfortably, you can train people anytime you want on any day of the year from the comfort of the home and save a bunch of money while reducing the risk for people getting injured. So these are some examples just from the airline industries in which these scenarios um, related to the dangerous, impossible, counterproductive and expensive uh, situations where you know it, it provides tremendous benefit relative to traditional training. Lots of companies simply explore VR and they'll they'll launch a pilot. You know, maybe they'll get a few headsets, you know, they'll do some some testing, they might do a few surveys. However, you know, we've a lot of us who are in this industry know for a while now that it is effective. How do you convince then those companies who are still just dabbling to move beyond just a pilot to, you know, jump into the deep end to say it is time to scale this and scale it big? How do you convince them? I think um, learning about their company's goals and priorities and figure out how do you align with those, it's more effective than trying to say, oh, you went through all this planning, your executive approved it, you went to the board. And now I come up with an idea in which you need to make an out-of-line item for X amount of money. That's a hard sell. So instead of saying you said this, employee retention, upskilling, member experience is important to you, and you have already allocated funds for this. So what are the meaningful metrics and how do you measure today's performance for your training? We can do all that at a lower cost, more efficiently, and improve some other meaningful metrics like engagement, like you know employee retentions and so on. And then success sales, we show like, let's do this pilot, measure traditional training, measure this training. So for this small scale, we save X amount of day of travel. This is the excitement coming from the team. And so imagine if we were to do this for a company that has 1500 employees, to do this a hundred times more. So they start looking like, oh, if I'm the CFO over two or three years, if I'm saying 10% of my training budget, 200,000, so this, this is a million dollars. I can I can work with this. Then the chief HR officer is saying, hmm, 
So I'm just reducing my retention by rough, roughly half, improving my retention rate. So instead of having to do all this extra hiring, I can keep the talent and then groom the talent in here. So I can work with that. So now you have business stakeholders who are excited to buy into this as as initiative to drive value, as opposed to you speaking to the CIO, geeks are looking at a new device that they want to buy, and and that's not the the right the right way to actually get buy-in from other executive stakeholders who already have budgets and who already have a problem that that they're looking to solve. I want to focus on one of your premier products, which you've presented on, and that's what you guys coin Agile VR. Tell us what this is and how it's uh, helping catapult your company. So a number of years back, we were helping organization on this Agile transformation journey. So a lot of companies, I heard about Agile, what does it mean to us? So we were assisting them to go from IT company to digital companies. And when... COVID hit, these teams who are practicing Agile by meeting in person, cross-functional team, fully allocated to a particular project, they have this war room, we want to meet in there every day. Suddenly, there was no more in-person interactions. People could work now on different time zones. They could be allocated on different projects. So whoever wrote those principles about Agile developer many years back, they are no longer applicable. And all we had people was these type of small boxes on a computer screen. Bill Gates called them Hollywood Square. And it was very different from the in-person interactions that were behind the foundation of Agile principle. So we looked to this as a challenge, this is also opportunity. So we said, how can we create these experiences that are immersive and enable creativity and collaboration, like in the days when we met in person, while staying remote and saving lives and reducing the time allocated with travel. So we said, like, let's create this and run these agile ceremonies in VR. So if you remember many years back, Jira, which is right now used by many agile development company, was just a bug tracker. It has just a big unprioritized list of defects. And then after many years, they, they adjusted and improved to say, hey, why don't we put a agile presentation there about it and have epics and user stories and Kanban boards and so on. But it took them a lot to basically evolve that product. So we said, whatever agile development tool you committed to, we don't want to change that. We are just created another presentation layer that enables people to be connected to those projects and to look at those user stories and epics, except they can do their activities now in an immersive 3D environment. So what does it mean is like, we feel like we're in person. And then if you are close to me here, I hear 3D sounds a few feet to my left. If our person is further away, and to my right, I would hear. So things would be very similar to the in-person interaction and create a sense of cohesions and enable more of this creativity to take place while, again, people are remote. And right now with the prevalence of the Oculus 2, for just $250, you can get one of these headsets and then 
looking at the amount of time and productivity efficiency that we give the teams using a tool like this, we felt that um, it was not only unlocking productivity and creativity, but teams felt like, hey, this person is doing something different for me. It's a differentiator. People are investing, right? They're not giving me just a laptop, you know, and a paycheck. There is a sense of culture. There is a sense of differentiation. There is a sense of our caring about culture and upskilling employees. So that's the origin be behind the, the product. Um, and it, it ties in with our interest right now in VR education and training because it, it got us exposed to like these this type of interactions and how this multi-sensory experience have implication around building muscle memory and about building um, critical, critical thinking. What kind of avatars are acceptable in Agile VR? I'm always a, a student of avatars and, and what impact and effect that might have on team building and persona building and so on. Are you going towards the traditional cartoonish-like avatars or are these, I don't want to say hyper-realistic because then we get into the uncanny valley, but semi-realistic type avatar we some of us also had a gaming background so it, it was fun to go uh, enable people to be to be funny and then also like you not start with one character if today you want to carry a mohawk and tomorrow you want to be bold and then it's like why not or you know how google has their logos and every day is like a surprise about what else they're going to do with that logo is like, why not allow the team to actually do something funny? Imagine you come into the office and say, what would that person look today? Especially knowing that some of our creative folks will, will try to tinker and come up with new ideas and put a smile on your face. So we didn't have guidelines as long. We are respectful for each other and then nobody will feel uncomfortable with your approach. Um, we allow people to express themselves and then also to personalize this. For example, for that particular team, we have some pretty cool clients we work with and then we figure out what is that particular client team gonna look like? And they can come up like, oh, look like all of us are passionate about this. Or some people that say they're passionate about Formula One. So they will be maybe impersonating or you know copying some features from some of the favorite teams or favorite drivers and so on, or color or something like that. So it, it gives you a lot of flexibility because you don't have those physical constraints anymore. You can be whoever you want. You know, tech companies, it's kind of a hard go because you always have to innovate and come with the next best thing. And so for equilibrium, you know, what's what's next on the horizon as we try and, you know, stay alive in such a constantly changing genre? So we're looking to put these two technology, VR and AI together. So we know that the industrial metaverse and spatial computing will be one of the biggest consumptions of AI. So how can we create these hyper-personalized training scenarios? So we're talking to some of these customers to say, when you create one of these training scenarios, one of the challenges for them was like, how do I maintain it? So whatever I'm training people today, imagine to talk about a credit card 
well, maybe three months from now, I'm not offering credit card or at least the interest rates have changed or so or whatever the benefits on that. So somebody has to go and, and do these updates. Why does a human have to do the updates? Why don't we have an AI chatbot go through your product line periodically and then if it detects some discrepancy from what your scenarios are, just change the scripts, those products, and, and then adapt the training. The other aspect is we personalized for different levels of complexities in terms of, is this an entry-level scenario? The customer is really happy, whatever you propose, they adopt it really well versus a difficult scenario. Somebody is already triggered. You need to basically appease those people and diffuse the situation before you can have a more meaningful conversation with them. Similarly, we're looking for diversity and inclusion. You know, how are people feeling? I'm in this office. This is the type of people I come in here. They also speak a different language or like dialect or an accent and so on. So how do I make it representative as opposed to everybody speaking, you know, Oxford uh, English, you know, on, on this avatar. So we are looking to bring together VR and AI to create these collections of training that can be adapted to not only a specific institution, but also to a specific individual, because all of us are learning at different speeds. And like you said, VR provides a safe training environment. If I didn't get it the first time, no problem, go do it again. And I can do it at my pace and at my time, I don't have dependencies or like I need to book an office, you know, I have some expensive assets that are already being consumed and I cannot afford to do this again. Well said, you know, I'm mindful of time. So I always leave an open-ended question that is anything left unsaid that you feel the audience, especially those interested in trying to use VR for training and development might want to hear about what you've learned. I think learned. these two technology, AI and VR can go really well hand in hand. To build on what you said moments ago, it's more than just assessing where do you fit on this journey? When is the right time for you to get involved? What we hear more and more often is people saying that if you don't act right now, given the adoption of these technologies, if you're waiting for like, let's wait for other people to try it out, let's wait for the dust to settle, and then I'm going to see what's, what needs to happen, you risk to be left behind. And these initiatives are not just about technology proof of concept. They can solve some real business problems. This is not just for geek. This is not just for gamers. It's being used in real-life industrial scenarios. I'm very proud, for example, that here in Vancouver, Vancouver Airport is using a digital twin. It's, it's you know, like a command center um, to assess situation awareness assessment. It's no surprise that Vancouver International Airport have been named one of the best airports in North America for 12 consecutive years. They have a leadership team that are willing to invest in using technology as a way to differentiate and grow. And in the end, it's to provide amazing experience for the members. So we're excited to guide progressive companies in the journey to use technology to craft remarkable experiences. Amazing. Yeah. I'm proud to finally host someone on the podcast that's in my home city. So normally they're all over the world. So it's amazing to, to hear you talk about Vancouver, which I also, as the listeners know, live in. 
How do people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about what Equilibrium's doing and all the various amazing pots that you're I'm into? I'm happy to talk about what we're doing. Either local events, for example, there is a digital mixer tomorrow afternoon at the Microsoft office that will be attending. Um, I'm active in the local community. Probably LinkedIn is a great place for us to start, reach out and connect, and then happy to share my experience and learn about what other people are doing to use technology to um, do well and do good in the world. Well said. What a great way to end. Do well and do good in the world. Adrian, thanks for coming on the show today. It was so good to speak to you, Craig. I really enjoyed the conversation.